Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health. And today we're joined by a friend and colleague, Dan Craig. Dan is the wellbeing lead at Champion Health and has previously held down roles at global wellbeing providers. Dan's assisting our members with driving engagement, making things personalized, and also building robust data-driven wellbeing strategies, all of which you're about to find out a lot more about in the next 12 minutes. Welcome, Dan. Hello, Dan, how are you? Hello, Harry, I am good today, thank you. It's a lovely sunny day in Birmingham and that doesn't happen often, so I'm feeling good. Excellent. What we're gonna talk about today off the back of what our, our listeners have requested is about engagement, about the strategy side of things and what a strategy really is and debunking some of the myths around that. And then finally, we're going to talk about Obviously, mental health is a huge topic, and for those that know me, you know why this is a huge topic for me, but is physical health being ignored slightly? So they're the three things that we're going to cover today. So the first area is around engagement, and engagement with traditional well-being services between 4 to 6%, we find, from, from the latest research. What can we do as well-being leads, as reward and benefit specialists, as employees within our organisations to drive engagement with well-being? Well, I think one of the key problems is, as we all know, the, the reactivity of some of these services has been first and foremost at the top of the agenda. And that has been the case for the last couple of decades. When you look at EAPs and, and so on, as you rightly say, those engagement rates are low. We're at a point now where we're starting to discover and we're starting to re-interject some some insight into what is meaningful conversation between an employer and an employee. And if that takes the form of a phone number and an email address to call when you're at rock bottom and you've had a terrible time with your mental health, then that's one way of doing it. There's another way though, which is to start addressing at all levels within a business, how we can interact with individuals at a human level. Um, A lot of that's to do with leadership, but actually there's lots of things that apply to different levels within a business. So um, it's quite a complex one, but there's there's a model, there's a golden recipe out there somewhere, and that's what I'm trying to uh, create at the moment, that's for sure. And what are a few of the golden nuggets that people can take away straight away after this podcast and start to implement tomorrow? when it comes to driving engagement with their initiatives? Is there, are there one or two things that you've found have really worked or even haven't worked? Uh, so one of the things that certainly is the case, and I, you don't need to go into the science or anything to look at this, is that n- nothing says, you know, I care more so than asking someone either how they feel or what they are doing when it comes to their health, listening to pain points, and then acting on them. It's the simplest form of communication. If you're asking somebody, how they're getting on and they tell you "Mm, I'm not having a great day today and then you just kind of turn your back and leave it there you that person is going to feel really really deflated and you wouldn't do that in a normal conversation the water's become a bit a bit muddied because we're talking about employer employee relationships and so on Um, but that's certainly something that's critical is for employers whether you're in a leadership or a manager position in any sense is to if you are asking the right questions to then listen and actually act on what you're getting back. That's a huge part for sure. And in terms of, uh, there's some people that may be listening to this, um, probably won't think this way, but some people say if you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. And employers can sometimes have that relationship within specific organisations, whereas some others are saying we're going to bend over backwards to support you. 
where do you sit and where do you draw the line in terms of where people need to support well-being and when it becomes actually a problem that's not an organizational issue for example it's a very tricky question that i've uh, i've just thrown to you there okay i think well-being where we've gone wrong with well-being particularly in the workplace is that we're now in a position where it's largely undefined um it's not really owned by anybody and usually within a business it's tasked to people who are otherwise in positions whose job it really shouldn't be to manage well-being, namely because they have a full-time job in HR or finance or wherever it is they work, and they start to get really pinched and really stressed and really squeezed because well-being, which is this kind of big cloudy subject that no one can really define, is being tasked to them. So for all organisations, we need to take a step back and have a look at why Firstly, health and well-being of employees is so important. And it doesn't matter which organization you are, you know, putting the health and well-being of your colleagues, of your teams first, is not just a financially savvy thing to do, and that's something we, we know well now, but it's the right thing to do. It's all to do with conditions. You can't mandate well-being. A, a, a business can't just click their fingers and, and make it so. There's a larger understanding that well-being is, is really the outcome, the last remaining piece of the, of the puzzle. Before then, you've got different, la- different layers of conditions that need to be created. And ultimately, that starts from the very top. You know, the leaders set the tone. Um, regardless of where you sit in the argument of top-down, bottom-up, that plays a, a fundamental key, key part, really. So there's lots of challenges to overcome. A lot of it's to do with going back to the beginning and redefining what this actually is and then what success looks like afterwards. I think that's crucial. And you mentioned the importance of the right conditions as well. And I saw a quote recently um, from someone that I really respect in the space that if a flower was wilting, you don't try and fix the flower, you try and fix the conditions and the environment around it. And it's exactly the same often when it comes to well-being. Um, And if we can look inwardly as leaders and look in the mirror, and that's something you know I say a lot as a leader myself, that's really important for our team to thrive and for the likes of yourself and all of of our colleagues at Champion. Now, we're going to go on to strategy, and well-being strategy must be one of the biggest buzz terms around there at the moment. Everyone is talking about strategy, but I still feel like that's not defined. You mentioned that well-being's not quite being defined. What is a well-being strategy for you, and what's the kind of work that you're working with the Champion members to build that robust and even data-driven strategy going forwards. Okay, so let me use an individual example to, to paint the picture here. If I was, or if you, Harry, were to turn up at a dietitian's office and you said to them, um, I need a diet strategy, please. You know, what's the first thing you think they're going to say? They're either going to say, I don't know, you might think that it's, okay, we need to go into a calorie deficit, we need to increase your your protein, reduce your fats, whatever it might be, that isn't the first thing they're going to say. The first thing they're going to say is, what's the goal? Um, I can give you strategies for everything, but I can't strategize for anything unless I've got a good understanding of where it is you you want to go. And when it comes to well-being strategy, I mean, yeah, there's confusion abound over this subject because the well-being part, which in itself is, is quite a specialist area, that's become very generalist and that's another thing we need to try and work on but then strategizing for something really confusing is just an impossible task so a well-being strategy for me very simply is a plan you start with a goal you take a look at your business your organization and you say what my i call it a kind of martin luther king statement piece is 
for what you want for your colleagues, your teams, your business, your culture, whatever that might be. Start with that. If, if you don't start with that, the rest of the journey is going to unfold very quickly or not be very guided. Secondly, you then need to assess where you're at with some of these things. So when it comes to well-being, you want to put a tool in place that's going to actually measure the health status, ultimately, of the folks there, mental health, physical health, financial, whatever. Then you put some tools and, and uh, sort of actionable items in place that are going to help you deal with those pain points and pressure points. Um, in the same way, back to the dietitian, you know, they'll, they'll look at your diet now, they'll consider where you want to be, and they'll start then putting things in place to get you going in the right direction, ultimately with that goal in, in mind. That's it. That's all the well-being strategy is, and that's all it should be. We need to keep things simple yep. and not overcomplicate it. I think it can be overcomplicated, and I think one of the reasons why you hit the nail on the head is that there are so many things to focus on and there is little focus when it comes to right at the start, what do we want to achieve with this? And just returning back to that values piece, the culture piece, and what does the business want to achieve? Is it maximum profitability or is it being a sustainable employer, for example, and then building strategies around there? So the final element that I want to touch upon today is around physical health. And is that being ignored at the moment? at the cost of mental health. Um, I'm really just intrigued to hear your thoughts on this. I've not discussed this with you so far. So as much as anything from a selfish angle, really, really interested to hear your, your point of view. I think if you look back over the last decades of where workplace health and workplace well-being has kind of only really been a thing for a short period of time, you know, before then we had the introduction of occupational health and then before then we had health and safety and so on. So it's gone through all these rounds of development naturally as time has gone forwards. One of those yardsticks, if we go back maybe 10 years, the ultimate yardstick, as it were, was physical health problems, you know, risk of type 2 diabetes, um, heart disease, blood sugar, cholesterol, those sorts of things. Then we moved into mental health and well-being. That suddenly exploded in terms of excitement um, in terms of you know numbers of eyes on this subject and all of a sudden it became a number one priority for many many businesses across the board mainly because it's a it's a buzzword theme and people like to interact with it and it feels good to be able to talk about that um, there's a time coming and I'm not sure we're quite there yet uh, in terms of everyone being on board with this but my belief my foresight here is that there's a time coming where we will realize collectively that the two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you look at the negative end, if you take something like a sleep, somebody who's sleeping really badly as the condition, there's a high level of comorbidity between mental health issues and physical health issues. So somebody who sleeps terribly will likely have two or three areas of mental well-being that they're languishing in. And if you flip that on its head, you know, a, a mental health issue, there's often going to be physical risks there as well. There's a time coming where we're going to appreciate that and we're going to start to see the outcome of targeting both things together kind of holistically as opposed to one over the other. I think we're still looking at mental health primarily, but I hope that we can get to a point where we, we appreciate the benefit of both together. Yeah. I don't think we're that far away from there, which is an exciting time to be. Dan, thank you so much today for joining us on the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. Thank you, Harry. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, 
please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.